Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Wiser Financial Advisor Show with Josh Nelson, where we get real, we get honest, and we get clear about the financial world and your money. This is Josh Nelson, founder and CEO of Keystone Financial Services. Let the financial fun begin. Recently, I had the opportunity to sit down with Jeremy Bush, a fellow wealth advisor and certified financial planner. Jeremy and I work very closely together, serving clients and answering questions from clients throughout the week. I can tell you the last couple of weeks, there's been a lot of news about financial institutions and risk, and a lot of questions come out of that as far as how do I know my money is safe? When it comes to my bank, my credit union, my brokerage firm, wherever I've got my money, how do I know that money is safe and what kind of protections do I have? We have a great discussion about that. Certainly any questions that you've got that are individual to your situation, let us know. We're happy to hop on the phone with you. Anything that you need, let us know. Otherwise, have a great week. God bless. Hello, Jeremy. Hey, Josh. How's it going? Doing great. Doing great. Uh, actually, I just got back from vacation, so feeling refreshed. Uh, but uh, lots of financial news that came out while I was gone. Uh, so uh, I was kind of keeping abreast of it, but I'm sure you were much more in uh, tune with what was going on day to day. So tell us a little bit over the last couple of weeks, why are people concerned right now about financial institutions and why has it caused so much volatility in the market? You know, a lot has been going on. And uh uh, for various reasons, really, when we think about it, there's just been a couple of very big name uh, banks, things of that nature. Uh, you know, Silicon Valley Bank for one, Credit Suisse is another way over uh, over in Switzerland. And uh, for very, you know, completely unrelated reasons, honestly, why they're in there, but they've been in the media, right? And anything that's in the media, people are going to respond to. Uh, and so we have been getting a few questions about, hey, does this affect my bank? Uh, does this affect my money? Is my money safe? And uh, so that's really what we're kind of here to answer, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there have been a lot of financial institutions over the years. In 1933, I think that was when the FDIC insurance first went into place because there were a bunch of bank failures in the early 30s. Uh, so almost 100 years ago, but it's that's it was not the last time that a financial financial institution had trouble. It all kind of comes down to did they take too much risk? Uh, because even banks, we think of those as places where there's no risk. Well, of course, they're having to take our deposits and put them someplace, right? And so uh, that someplace is what got mismanaged, I think, with uh, some of the financial institutions that have been in the news the last couple of weeks. But um, with that in mind, uh, let's let's talk about insurance coverage, though, because I, I think that's kind of the crux of a lot of questions people are asking right now is they're questioning all of a sudden, how do I know my money is safe, whether it be in their bank or their investment account? So let's talk about a couple of insurance coverages. Uh, tell us about FDIC and how does that apply to our money? So FDIC, uh, you know, it stands for Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Uh, so this is basically an organization which every bank that takes deposits pays into. So just like you have homeowners insurance on your house, uh, banks pay FDIC insurance on deposits that they have. All right. So that's this giant pool of insurance that builds up just in case uh, a bank goes under so that there are funds there to make people whole. Right. So uh, really the basic of it is, is that uh, it, each person, each account holder has a $250,000 uh, limit that uh, the bank will basically um, insure for them to say, you know what, if something happens, 
you get $250,000 at least. So um, the other important aspect of that is if you have, uh, say, a checking account in your name, and then you and your spouse have another checking account or savings account uh, together, uh, you get $250,000 of coverage for your individual account, but then you also each get $250,000 inside of that joint account. So it's it's not that anybody is specifically limited to $250,000 and that's it. There are kind of ways around that. And FDIC is uh, specific to banks. So there's another thing entirely that goes on inside of brokerage accounts and investment accounts. Yeah, to, one thing to note too, for our credit union friends, uh, which uh, I think you and I are both fans of credit unions as well, a little bit of a different uh, angle on that, but NCUA insurance essentially is the equivalent. The rules are exactly the same, correct? Correct. Yeah, that's great. So uh, moral of the story, though, as far as the coverage limits is I can't just go open 20 accounts at my bank or credit union and expect that I'm going to have $250,000 for each one of those 20 accounts. That would be a great problem, by the way, if, if somebody was sitting on that much cash. And then, you know, the crazy thing is, you know, Silicon Valley Bank, some of the banks that we've been talking about are not normal banks that normal people bank at. Uh, they, they say a pretty large percentage of the people at uh, Silicon Valley Bank, for example, and businesses had way over the $250,000, in other words. So there was a lot of uninsured money that was sitting there. Yeah, it actually, that one in particular, the Silicon Valley Bank was a huge bank for um, obviously the tech sector, Silicon Valley, but more so venture capitalists. So uh, anybody that's basically trying to find the next Google or the next Apple. Um, so they basically make a bunch of unsecured uh, loans, things of that nature to these companies, and then bought a bunch of long-term treasuries at 0% is really kind of, a, I'm sure someone will make a case study of them someday that says, this is what you're not supposed to do. And the rules have basically kind of you know, been out there a while, they just chose to ignore them. The FDIC, before we move on to SIPC coverage, it's another type of coverage that's out there, FDIC coverage, uh, you could go out in that same example, let's say you had a boatload of cash, you could go out to 20 different banks, then you actually could get a lot more FDIC coverage because it's with different institutions. Correct. So it is 250 per registration, basically per um, per bank. So yeah, that would be another way of doing it if you had multiple banks. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good. And inside people's uh, brokerage accounts, uh, we'll move on to that. Uh, but it all kind of depends on what do you own inside that brokerage account, uh, because you actually can own FDIC things inside your brokerage account. It could be uh, CDs, for example, can be purchased inside an IRA, or uh, you know, say if it was a Schwab or Fidelity, you could buy securities like that that actually have FDIC coverage. And that is one thing that we watch out for for our clients that own CDs is making sure that we don't have more than $250,000 per institution. We can just choose different banks and get more and more FDIC coverage, correct? Correct. So yeah, so the uh, when you get brokerage accounts listed in there, now, now it turns into SIPC insurance or SIPC, Securities Investor Protection Corporation, uh, works a lot like FDIC where the brokerages are the ones who actually... Um, pay the insurance on this. It goes into a specific pot of money in case that brokerage fails, right? Uh, and so they have their premiums that they pay every year on all this stuff. Uh, the thing that sets it aside for SIPC insurance is that instead of a $250 per customer amount, uh, it actually runs up to 500,000, okay? Um, now that is, uh, 
basically 500,000 at the institution. Okay. So if you have a Roth IRA, traditional IRA, and an individual brokerage account, uh, and they're all in your name, you get 500,000 blanket insurance on that. Uh, there's also, because most of those brokerages are also banks in their own right. Um, like you said, there are ways that you can get FDIC insurance on that as well. So that would basically be another 250,000 of, of coverage in there for if you own, you know, cash inside the account, if you own things like CDs, um, anything that is basically not an investment as far as a exchange traded fund or a mutual fund or a stock uh, of that nature. So, um, kind of trying to be really general in this. I mean, there are some very specifics that get involved in a lot of this stuff, but there are ways to kind of maximize your protection between the two. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, a word that we can't say very often as far as guarantee, but there are some things like the insurance coverage we're talking about that mm -hmm. actually uh, you have to kind of look at what it is, how does it work and who is making the guarantee, uh, right? So it's very, absolutely. very important that people look at this individually based on off of their own situation. Uh, and again, where is the account? Where it's the institution? What do they own inside the account? Maybe that's a good segue to make clear that this is not guaranteeing people's investments, right? <laughs> if the, yeah, the market goes down, they own something. Talk about that a little bit. So SIPC insurance is is not a it is not an insurance against market volatility or what happens in the market, right? Uh, we know that investments are going to go up, they're going to go down, uh, they're going to do their own thing depending on what's happening out there. Um, what this insurance does is it insures basically the brokerage. So uh, when I say brokerage, I'm, I'm talking about someplace like a Fidelity or TD Ameritrade or Charles Schwab. So if tomorrow all of a sudden Fidelity says, we just did terrible things and we're going under as a brokerage and there's not going to be a Fidelity anymore. In that highly unlikely event, that's when CIPIC insurance would step up and start calculating out and say, okay, you get this amount of money, you get this amount of money just based on what you have in there. Right. So it would replace securities up to that $500,000. Let's just use an example. Say I had $500,000 worth of Apple stock, which would be wonderful if I did. <laughs> but if I say if I had $500,000 worth of Apple stock, my brokerage firm that I'm with, they go broke. Now they'll replace up to that amount of money in shares, correct? Correct. Uh, the other kind of thing to now, now you might be saying, "Hey, well, why why do we have any of this above five hundred thousand or seven fifty in any given thing?" Right? Is that um, brokerages aren't stupid, so uh, they also you know, they all pay into that CIPIC insurance, but most brokerages uh, also have additional insurance on top of that. They want you to have as much money with them as possible, right? So they're not going to limit you to five hundred thousand or two hundred fifty or whatever it is, right? Uh, so they have additional insurances on top of CIPIC that most of them use in order to insure account balances way, way beyond that 500 or 750 even at the max. So, yeah, and that would be like private insurance. In other words, if they go out absolutely. and buy, uh, that's on top of whatever the government is uh, you know, kind of co-sponsoring or endorsing, uh, these would be kind of outside insurance policies. Uh, yeah. Say if somebody is a celebrity and they've got ten, tens of millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars, clearly these big brokerage firms don't want to limit uh, and say, oh yeah, we can only have so much of your money. <laughs> yeah, the FDIC and SIPC insurances are pretty much... Uh, they're kind of like SEC or bank mandated. They say, if you're going to be a bank, you have to participate in FDIC. 
if you're going to be a brokerage, you have to participate in SIPC. Uh, but that does not limit any of those from going above and beyond and getting their own private insurance for the exact same thing for more dollars. Yeah. And, and then the other big thing, of course, is if you have a brokerage account, what is in that brokerage account? And we spend a mm-hmm. lot of time on that with clients uh, and prospective clients that are joining us. We spend a lot of time talking about risk. That's really important to understand uh, the risk tolerance. That's the the jargon in our industry is risk tolerance. But we boil that down to a risk number. Uh, briefly explain how that works as, as far as risk number and how that might apply to uh, somebody's preferences and how their money might get invested within that account. If you have, let's say, a high risk number, and when we talk about risk, we're really talking about volatility, right? Like how how much is something going to swing one way or another, depending on what happens that day or that year. Uh, so something that's more high risk is going to be, you know, individual stocks, um, things of that nature that are specific to specific companies. Uh, anything can happen to those specific companies on any given day. And so that's going to move the needle a lot more over the short term. Uh, Something that's more low risk would be maybe something in the lines of bond funds or individual bonds or even CDs, right? And so the way that we come up with risk scores is obviously, you know, we spend a lot of time talking with it. Anybody who's a client can probably tell you how how much time we've spent talking with them about their individual risk score. Uh, But really what we do is we try to find that point where we're going to get the best return for the amount of volatility that you're comfortable living with. And then when we get that score, that tells us how we need to build out your portfolio. So we can have X amount of dollars in stocks and equities that are going to maybe move a little bit more, but get you a little bit better return. And then for the protection side of stuff, uh, we're going to add in some bond funds or bonds or uh, CDs if that comes you know, about or or what whatnot. So uh, really the combination of those and the percentages that we use of each of those Uh, allows us to basically pinpoint anyone's risk score somewhere along that spectrum, right? A very, very conservative to very, very aggressive. Yeah. So it's very individual, I think is the point, right? Is that everybody's different, their own preferences, uh, what it is that they're expecting out of their investments. So we spend a lot of time on that. Last thing you want to do is, is get started with somebody and then six months down the line, be wondering, losing sleep and causing you stress and saying, why do I, why am I invested this way? This is, this is crazy. Better to spend the time up front and get it right the first time. Yeah, absolutely. And and one thing that I'll note too, just as we wrap up is that sometimes people think it's an age thing that, well, if if somebody's older, that means that they're really conservative or if they're younger, they should be really aggressive. We don't always see that, you know, sometimes uh, we'll find that Somebody might be a lot older, but our, our oldest client actually turns 100 here pretty soon. Um, so, and, and not to reveal any numbers or anything like that, but sometimes we'll have uh, clients that say, you know what, this money's not for me. And so it's probably going to be left to somebody else. I don't need it. So I really have maybe a higher risk tolerance than somebody else. Yep. We, we get that all the time with clients in meetings and prospects. And they say, well, I'm this age, I should probably be around here, right? And and that's really not the case. It doesn't have to be the case. It's more about your financial goals and, and really what the, the goal of your money is. 
Yeah. And the good news is with higher interest rates right now, uh, with somebody with a really low risk number, there are actually some opportunities that we haven't seen in years. Obviously, we haven't enjoyed the high inflation that we've experienced over the last couple of years, but it also has resulted in much higher interest rates. So people who have a very low risk number, uh, there are things like treasuries, CDs, some of those things are actually paying some decent interest right now. Uh, So even if uh, our listeners, maybe somebody feels like, you know what, I don't have any risk tolerance, maybe I'm a one or a five or a 10 on a scale of one to a hundred. Uh, is there still an investment out there for me? And I, I think the answer is is yes. Uh, we just want to be careful about what that is. Again, making sure that they understand uh, you know, wh- where any guarantees would be and how that would work for their accounts. Hasn't always been the case, right? Past couple of years with interest rates down around zero, it's, some of that stuff didn't look so good, but uh, it's kind of the the silver lining right of all the rate increases and whatnot is now all those things are actually paying interest again and uh look good again well thanks for uh, spending the time with me I, I think this is a really important conversation and especially when there's a lot of the stuff in the news again that's why we're talking about it because we're hearing these questions a lot of times these topics by the way that we end up covering on the wiser financial advisor are because we're getting a lot of questions from clients or other people that we're talking to so we want to make sure that uh, we're putting it out there uh, because more than likely there are a lot of people that also would have that same question or have that same curiosity on something so so thanks jeremy and any questions that uh, people have, certainly reach out to either one of us, uh, just Josh at KeystoneFinancial.com, Jeremy at KeystoneFinancial.com. It's easy to find us. We will get back to you quickly. And uh, even if you're not a client, by the way, we always want to be here as a resource for people. Uh, and, and certainly if you're interested in how this would apply to you, we want to talk about that. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you. We love feedback and we'd love it if you would pass it on to me directly at josh at keystonefinancial.com. Also, please stay plugged in with us, get updates on episodes, and help us promote the podcast by rating us and also subscribing to us at your favorite podcast service. The views expressed represent the opinion of Keystone Financial Services. The views are subject to change and are not intended as a forecast or guarantee of future results. This material is for informational purposes only. It does not constitute investment advice and is not intended as an endorsement of any specific investment. Stated information is derived from the proprietary and non-proprietary sources that have not been independently verified for accuracy or completeness. While Keystone believes the information to be accurate and reliable, we do not claim or have responsibility for its completeness, accuracy, or reliability. The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, FDIC, and Securities Investor Protection Corporation, SIPC, are government-backed insurance programs designed to protect consumers in the event of bank or brokerage firm failures. Neither FDIC or SIPC insurance protects against losses due to market fluctuations or investment risks. For more information on FDIC and SIPC insurance, please visit their respective websites or speak with a qualified financial professional. Keystone Financial Services is an SEC-registered investment advisor.